Well, as you know, 50 came and went for me last week, uh, and I survived it. I do thank Will for preaching for me last week and for that crazy green bike that uh, the church got for me. I've been enjoying that, but so far I haven't done anything too crazy. I didn't go out and buy a bright red convertible. I assure you that I do not have a series of gold chains underneath my buttoned-up shirt. Nothing so far. I've seemed to escape the, uh, the clutches of an identity crisis, though it is true. It is true that having a crisis of identity makes people exhibit bizarre behavior in an attempt to create an identity for themselves, one they think will be popular or pleasing to others. Churches do the same thing. We often suffer from an identity crisis, and if we don't know who we are, if we don't know our identity, we certainly aren't going to know what we are to do. And it seems that the fall of the year, that the time of year that we are entering right now is the time when many churches begin to ask those questions. Well, what new programs should we start for the fall? What new ministries should we kick off after Labor Day? But if we don't know who we are, we will wander aimlessly trying to decide what to do or or what we think will please people or, or be popular. And sometimes churches do bizarre things. Well, the passage we have before us this morning uh, is so revealing about who we are in Christ. Our identity that we have as a church, it doesn't tell us everything about it, but it certainly tells us a lot uh, of good truth that will help us know who we are. And as we know who we are, it will help us know what it is that you and I together as a church are to be doing. And so that's our goal and our hope for this morning. As we come to the word of the Lord, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you have your Bibles open, to 1 Peter chapter 2, as we give honor and respect to the word and the reading of the word of the living God. I'm going to begin reading this morning in chapter, in verse 4 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you now that you will fulfill your promise to bless the reading and hearing of your word. Pray again, Lord, for your spirit to be uh, uh, alive in us, opening our eyes to see and ears to hear and our hearts to understand the truth that you have to teach us. Show us, Lord, our identity, who we are in you. Show us, Lord, what you would have us to do. And for that, we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you. You may be seated. As we consider our identity in Christ as a church, the first thing I want us to talk about this morning is that we are to be, you and I, to be people on the move. Look with me again in verse 4. And you'll see there it begins with this phrase, as you come to him, as you come to Christ. And if we are to fully understand what it is that Peter wants to communicate with his audience, what Peter wants to communicate with you and me about our identity and who we are, to fully understand that, we need to talk uh, about grammar for just a minute. And I know that's boring, but it's so important. Just three grammatical points that I want to make. And the first is this. Peter wrote this participle in the present tense. And whenever the Greek language uses the present tense, it indicates continuous, ongoing behavior. So that's the first thing, ongoing behavior. Secondly, Peter wrote it in an imperative sense, so that the behavior that he's describing is a a command. It's something that we must do. Thirdly, it's written in the plural form. So what Paul and Peter instructs here is something that we must do together. So we put all three of those together and we, we see this, that you and I together are to be people who must continually be on the move. We must be people who are continually coming to Christ as you come to Christ. And that's a shift in thinking for many evangelical Christians Because when we conjugate this verb, we tend to put it in the past tense. Oh, I came to Christ when I was seven years old. Oh, I came to Christ when I was 25 years old. Oh, I came to Christ last year. And it's fine to tell people the story about when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the danger of always talking about that time in the past tense, I came to Christ, is that we subtly begin to believe that you only come to Christ once. Boom. And then it's over. Or that you only come to Christ to be saved, and that only happens once. But coming to Christ is not static. Coming to Christ is not a one-time event. Coming to Christ is supposed to be the constant motion of our hearts, moving toward Christ with our thoughts, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, our discouragements, always moving closer to Him. How many of you can say right now, in this this moment, I am so close to Christ that I cannot get any closer? Can anybody say that? No, I can't say that. You can't say that. None of us uh, ever will ever be able to make that claim. And since I know that we can't say that, then you and I must keep coming to Him closer and closer. Are you? Now, your life is moving right now. All of our lives are. In what direction? You know the answer to that question. If you are not moving toward Christ, then by necessity, you are moving away from Him. And that's not what God has called you to do. That's not your identity, to be one who is moving away from Christ. If you can only say this, well, I came to Christ at such and such a time, then that makes your quote-unquote conversion the the point of departure for you. You you know, you came to Christ in faith, but but then where did you go? At the first church I pastored many years ago, they had the tradition of having a week-long revival service every year. They had an evangelist come, and he would, you know, preach a revival. And every night of the revival, a member of the congregation was supposed to stand up and, and give their testimony. 
Well, one man told the same story year after year about the day he came to faith in Christ when he was about 35 years old. And I don't have any problem with the man telling that story, except that he was almost 90 years old when he was telling the story. And so I said to this man, I said, this year, could you tell something that the Lord has done for you in, oh, say, the last 45 years? But he didn't, or he couldn't, or he wouldn't. I don't know what the case is. He got up and he told the same story again about when he came to faith in Christ. Coming to Christ on a continual basis means you are coming around to his way of thinking. You are coming around to his way of acting. Coming to Christ, always moving toward him, means you'll always have something to say. It can't be any other way than that. When you're always coming to him, you will be like him. It isn't difficult to know which way you are going right now. If you are consistently coming to his word, looking for Christ in the pages of Scripture, then you are moving toward him. If you are continually living in obedience to what Christ asks you to do as you come to his word, then you are moving toward Christ. If you are consistently spending time in prayer, opening your heart to Christ, then you are moving toward him. And if you're not doing any of these activities, or rarely doing any of these activities, either you don't know your identity and who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, or you're trying to live incognito so that nobody knows who you truly are. And if you're not doing any of these things, if you're not moving toward Christ continually, you will not be able to resist the pull, the current, the undertow of this culture. You will be pulled away and you will be pulled away from Christ. So will I. If we are not constantly moving toward him, we will be pulled away from him. And so we as individuals and together must be people on the move, moving toward Christ. That's the call of scripture. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then approach, same word as come to, let us come to the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near, same Greek word, let us come to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is what defines us. This is what gives us our identity. We, you and I, are privileged to be people on the move. Privileged to be able to come to Christ. And I assure you of this. When you come to Christ continually, as always, He will welcome you, He will receive you, and then He will send you back out. Because that's what Jesus does with His disciples. He sends them out. And so the privilege is ours to come to Christ. The privilege is ours to be chosen by him, to be his representatives, his ambassadors, his messengers here on earth. Because there are others who need to come to him. And they need to hear the gospel message that we bring. He'll send you back out when you come to him because there are poor that need to be fed. And there are widows and orphans that need to be cared for. And there are prisoners that need to be visited. When you come to him, he will send you back out because there are many social injustices that need to be addressed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we come to him, he strengthens us to be about these tasks. And so here's what you and I need to do. We need to keep each other 
accountable. We need to make sure that, that we, we are moving, that we are people on the move. We're not allowed to be static pew dwellers. No. We've got to encourage one another to be in constant motion, moving toward Christ and being sent out by Him. That's our identity, moving people. And then look in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. We come to Christ, He sends us back out, the world sees and they glorify God. It's a great identity. Let's move on. Secondly, we see in this passage that we are people with a purpose and we have the purpose of being a building. Look in verses 4 and 5. As you come to Him, the living stone... You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Another little grammar point. As as we look here, we see that this verb is written in the the passive form. You are being built. And so it tells us that you and I, we are instruments. We are passive. We are held in the hand of Christ. And He uses us for His purpose and for His glory. In this case, Peter says we're like living stones. And, and, and not like stones that you would find lying in the field or lying alongside the road. There's a different Greek word for that. That's petros. The word that Peter uses here is a different word. It's lithos. And that's a different kind of stone. That's a stone that has been hewn and shaped so it fits perfectly in the place where it's supposed to be. And that's what the Lord does for us. You know, when he picks us up, when he calls us to himself, maybe we are petros. You know, rugged and rough around the edges. But he takes us, and he hews us, and he shapes us, and he puts us in the exact place where he wants us, so that the building that he is building is a beautiful thing. This is consistent with Scripture. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. This is a work that Christ himself is doing. And so now, you and I, we are part of something much bigger than just ourselves. I know most of you weren't here last week. But, but will preach to us out of Ephesians. And he challenged us with the truth that we can no longer just consider ourselves, but we are to consider others as better than ourselves. You know, when we come into the kingdom of God, our life is no longer about us and, and what we want and what we want to accomplish. We've got a different identity now. And... Our, our purpose is to find out what our place is in this work that God is doing because it's only God's purpose. It's only God's blueprint, only His design that comes with the promise of being good and pleasing and perfect. That's what Romans chapter 2 says about God's will. Only God's will, only His purpose is good and perfect and well-pleasing. Not yours and not mine. God is the architect. And he knows what he's building and what it's supposed to look like. And he knows how he's engineered it, how it's supposed to function. And so we, who don't know all of those things, we gladly, we humbly take our place as stones in the Redeemer's hand to be put where he wants us to put, to to put us to accomplish his purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 says that this building has Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. That's our identity. Stones in this spiritual house that Jesus is building. And we could talk a long time about the, the temple of, of God, but I just want to say this, and you know this. The physical building called the temple was God's dwelling place. 
in the midst of his people. And God told Moses, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. The temple was a dwelling place of the glory of God. God now dwells in his New Testament temple, the church. Scripture teaches. This is from 2 Corinthians 6.16. For we are now the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Ephesians 2.22 And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Does that not overwhelm you? To think that you and I as individuals and we together are the dwelling place of the living God. And so our purpose, yours and mine, now becomes as a member of the body of Christ, as a a member even here at Redeemer, to find out your place in what God is building here. Your purpose is to seek to find out where do I fit in what God is doing. And that's going to require looking honestly at the gifts that God has given you. Looking honestly at the resources with which God has entrusted you. How is it that God wants you to use it? And please don't say this. Well, I really don't know because I haven't had a spiritual test gift yet. My church hasn't offered a class on spiritual gifts, and so I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do. People say that all the time. We institutionalize everything. You know what? Get busy. And as you work for the Lord, pretty soon you're going to find out what you're good at. That's the thing that you should do. It's looking honestly at how we're wired. Not for the purpose of self-expression, not for the purpose of self-promotion, but for the purpose of making what God is building here beautiful. Your purpose now is to help everybody seated around you, to use their gifts that God has given them so that they are able to do their part in making what the Lord is doing here something beautiful. Listen, you know this is true. People outside of the church know the claims that people inside the church make for themselves. Oh, we are the children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are, we are chosen by God. We are uh, indwelled by the Spirit of God. And that's all true. And they know that that's the claim that we make for ourselves. And so you know what you and I need to do? We better live up to it. Don't you think? We want the city of Charleston to look at us and say, it if those people represent who God is, if they truly are the dwelling place of God, then God is really good. And God is really loving. And what the Lord is doing there in that place, it's a beautiful thing. We can go back again to, to verse 12. So that those who are looking in on us, those who don't believe, they may say that. Well, I don't believe. You know, that church stuff, that, that's not for me. I don't believe it. But it sure is a beautiful thing that they're doing. We always have to be mindful of our identity and the name that we wear, Christian, representatives of God on earth, His temple. So no matter what program we put in place or what ministries we begin, we have to be mindful of who we are as we do those things in the community, the temple of God. That will make all the difference in the world, not only in what we do, but how we do it. Let's move on. Thirdly. Uh, people on the move, the temple of God, were also called to be priests. Look with me in verse 5. Peter writes there, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You and I, then, are priests. He said, oh, dude, hold up. You know, I got a secular job. <laughs> I'm no priest. 
No, that's not what I do. I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't been to seminary. Please don't call me a priest. But it isn't a piece of paper. And it isn't an institution that makes you a priest. God does, clearly, in his word. And here's how. In the Old Testament, there were elaborate rites that had to be gone through to consecrate someone for the priesthood. The first step in that ritual was that the the whole body of the person had to be washed so that they were clean. Hebrews 10.22 says this of us. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Titus 3.4 says that God our Savior has saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.11 But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so you see, if you want to argue, you have to argue with God. He's washed us made us clean, made us pure. Step one in becoming a priest. Step two is this. After the washing ceremony, there was the robing ceremony. God said, you shall take the garments and put them on Aaron. He was the first priest. The tunic and the robe, and you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. So you and I have been washed by Christ and then clothed with him. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. It says that we've been given a new self to put on. A new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 13, 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, we are wrapped in the robe of Christ's righteousness, washed by God. We've put on Christ. The next step in the consecration process was the anointing with oil. 1 John two twenty says, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Romans 5, 5, God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. So you and I have been anointed. The Spirit of God poured out on us. This is our identity. God has made you, and God has made me to be priests. And what is it that a priest does? A priest makes sacrifices. Look at verse 5. Keep reading. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. What sacrifice is it? If you had to write on your bulletin, what sacrifice can I bring to God? We don't have to make sacrifice for sin anymore. Christ has done that once and for all. That's what Scripture teaches us. And so what is it that we have to offer to God? Our primary offering that we can make, the sacrifice that we can make to God is ourselves. We put ourselves on the altar. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You are a priest. That's your identity. You offer yourself to God. And you know what's so wonderful about this? That your sacrifice, no matter what you think of it, no matter what you think of yourself, it's acceptable to God. Look in verse 5. We're offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, who you are and what you bring is acceptable and pleasing to God. One of the things I love when we go to Uganda, and you'll love this too if you go, who's going to Uganda with us next summer? Come on, raise your hand. Yeah. Whenever you go into the home of a Ugandan, they always say this, you are most welcome. Every time. 
And you know you're most welcome because of the way you tr- they treat you when you enter their home. Well, that's the same thing. When we come to God, he says, you are most welcome here. And the way he treats us with love and grace and compassion lets us know that we are welcome. If we could get a handle on this, that we're accepted in Christ, what a difference it would make in our desire to present ourselves and what we have to God, that we are acceptable. You know, yesterday when I was in my office working, on this sermon, the art ministry was taking place uh, in the fellowship hall. And Carol Clark was there, and she was teaching a class uh, on watercolor. Well, I didn't participate in that class. And I said, well, I don't want to participate because I have work to do, which is true. I had work to do. But that's not the real reason I didn't participate in that class. The real reason I didn't participate is I don't have any artistic ability. You know, I can't even draw a stick figure. And so I didn't participate because I knew that the watercolor that I could do would not be as good as everybody else's. And, you know, we always want to be as good as everybody else. And I knew that the watercolor that I would come up with when I finished it and I took it to Carol and said, see my watercolor? You know, I figured that wouldn't bring a beaming smile from Carol. Now, I know Carol, and Carol would have said, oh, that's very good. But it would have probably been preceded by those three words we all love to hear. Well, bless your heart. (laughs) Bless your heart. You've done such a good job. So I didn't want to participate because I was afraid that what I had to bring, what I had to offer, what I had to present would not be acceptable. And so the fear of not hearing those words kept me from participating in something that I would have loved to do. When we know that we are accepted by God in Christ, we'll be eager to present ourselves We'll be eager to present our sacrifices and our offerings. We'll be eager to serve because we know what we bring is pleasing and acceptable to Him if we bring it in Christ. And so that's your identity, a priest in the service of God, offering yourself to Him. How are you doing with that? Thirdly, finally, quickly, our last purpose. We're people on the move. We're people with a purpose. We're a spiritual house. We are priests and finally Our purpose is to declare his praises. Look in verse 9 with me. Lots more of our identity we don't even have time to get to, but it says you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare his praises, of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is our last identity, we are to be people who declare his praises. The English Standard Version says that you may proclaim his excellencies. See, in the Old Testament, the priest stood before the Lord on behalf of the people. The priest was the mediator between God and man. The priest spoke God's words to men. He was called the messenger of the Lord. Malachi 2.7, for the lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instructions because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. Well, now you and I have that priestly function of being messengers of God to the world. Every person, including you, that receives anything from God and you have received, you've been lavished on by the Lord, you are made a steward then to to impart that to others. And look, let me just tell you, this is the easiest thing in the world. Now listen to me, because you know it's true. We have no problem doing this at any time in our lives, except when it comes to church, and then we get all weird about it. But you go to a restaurant, 
and you love it, and you go home and you say, man, you got to go to this new restaurant. The food there is amazing. The atmosphere and ambiance is wonderful. They have all these little twinkle lights, and the service was great. you got to go there. You are proclaiming the excellencies of that restaurant, and you are recommending it to someone else. Or you go to a movie. I just saw the best movie. you got to go. The special effects, they're like nothing I've ever seen. The acting, over the top. You are declaring the excellencies of that movie. And you are recommending it to someone else. You meet a new friend. You know what? I just met the nicest person. They're the nicest person I ever met. I think they would give me the, the, the shirt off of their back. You are proclaiming the excellencies of that person and recommending that person to someone else. That's all we're required to do. You and I to speak the excellencies of the Lord. Are there excellencies of God that we should speak of? Are there? How many? How many? <laughs> They're innumerable, aren't they? And so our job as priests is to, cl- to declare the excellencies, the glory, the greatness uh, of God, to shine the light that he gives us into our dark world. See, we don't have to suffer from a crisis of identity. We know what our identity is. God tells us in part here. And so you and I are to fulfill the purpose that God has given to us to find that spot where God wants us to be and rest where He has placed us and serve Him there. Offer ourselves to Him. Care for others. Let His glory shine out in a dark world and keep on the move. Moving, moving, moving. Moving toward Christ, moving toward Christ and being sent out by Him. You know, if we can do these things, we're going to have a great fall here at Redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You again for Your Word. We thank you that we don't have to wonder about who we are or what it is that you would have us to do. So clearly, Lord, you define our identity in your word, and we thank you for that. I pray now that we would uh, heed the call of your word, that we would take your word to heart, that we would really consider who it is that you have called us to be. Lord, can convict us, but show us our need to be moving toward you. And perhaps, Lord, the way we'll be most convinced be most convinced of that is if you show us what our lives are like when we aren't moving toward you. And Lord, let the, the turmoil that comes from that life and, and the guilt that comes from that life, Lord, use that in our hearts to, to draw us to yourself so that we seek to, to fulfill this privilege of coming and moving toward you. Make us priests, Lord, willing to sacrifice ourselves. Uh, Make us servants, taking our place in this beautiful uh, thing that you are building, your church, here on earth. And Lord, open our lips, I pray. Open our lips to declare the myriad uh, excellencies that we find in you. Do this in us and through us for our good, but mostly for your, your glory. And Lord, and for the sake of the city of Charleston, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.